I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Phones to silent, doors to cross-check, hold on to your hats. This is Five Yard Rush, your fantasy football podcast, with your hosts, Stocks, Sparky, Murph, and Nick. Hey, what's going on, Rush Nation? Welcome to the first show this week. Man, do we have a guest for you. It's the co-host of Inside the Huddle on Sky, and Sky's live broadcast of the NFL. It's Jeff Reinbold. Jeff, welcome to Five Yard Rush. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, fellas. How was your bank weekend? Yeah, yeah, it was good. I worked two of the four days, which is irritating, but the weather was awesome, so can't complain. Yeah, it was incredible. We um, we had yesterday, Jeff, uh, a live uh, NFL fans UK event in London uh, to do a mock draft. So we did a three-round mock draft at the Hippodrome with about 80 or so UK fans. I tell you what, man, that is so cool to hear that because, you know, it's it's amazing to me thinking about, like, 1994 when I came to the UK for the first time when NFL Europe opened up again and just thinking about how the game has grown and the you know the fans are so knowledgeable now and so into the draft and into free agency and all the things that are around the NFL it's really a cool deal I wish I could have been there because that would have been an amazing experience who did the Cardinals take with number one so it was a bit of an awkward situation because unfortunately the guy from the Cardinals couldn't make it last minute. So um, we had a committee. I voted against 
Kyler Murray and got outvoted. So Kyler Murray went one in the mock. Well, you know what? That may be the only time he goes one because there's a lot of speculation back here that they're trying like crazy to trade out of that pick and get more picks. Yeah, Chris and I have been on that um, on that train since day one. I've always felt it was a smokescreen to get a trade. Um, I just, especially now it's Tuesday evening here, and Josh Rosen is still a cardinal. I can't imagine they draft Kyler Murray with Josh Rosen uh, still in the building. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of ways to look at that, and and the thing that I was surprised was, you know, there's no advantage to the Cardinals to come out as far ahead of the draft as they did and say that they were going to take him or make, you know, make all the indications that they were going to take him and then, you know, pumping him up so high. And, you know, all of that to me as a a guy who's been around this game for a long time is an indication that, you know, that they're not going to go that direction. Now I'm going to tell you something. It's in, it's incredible if they do take him with, with the first pick because to let that information out and to broadcast that does you absolutely no good. I mean, no good when it comes to trading, trading Rosen or, you know, really in any way. I, I, so again, I really think that if he goes in these next couple days in a trade or that pick goes in a trade, I would not be surprised at all. Sure. Surely though, they, if they were that far in on Murray, they'd have got rid of Rosen already and, like you say, stated their intention straight or a clear cut. This is what we're doing. I mean, to keep Rosen sort of strung out, as it were, isn't fair on him. But then also he's first in the building, last out the building last week. And I I just can't see it. Well, let me tell you something, guys, that that fair is not a word that you use very often in pro football. I mean, (laughs) it's a it's a business and it's a cold, hard, heartless business. And, you know, obviously the kid, I think, I think Rosen, I think Josh Rosen has shown an awful lot in this process. You know, there were so many questions about his maturity and his, you know, his decision-making, his character, whether he was a spoiled kid, all that stuff during the draft, build up to the draft last year. And none of that has surfaced at all. I, I, there was one, you know, interview I saw that he was a little bit prickly about it, but, you know, you got to imagine how hard that is on him have to go into the facility every day and go to work and knowing that or you know all this indication around you and the media constantly hounding you about how do you feel about it what do you feel about this and that and so I, I give him props for handling the thing in a real professional manner and you know I think the Cardinals are you know they run a risk here because you get right up into draft day and you know there's going to come a point where Rosen's stock's going to fall. There's a point, you know, as this thing plays itself out, there are teams down the, you know, down the board that are looking for, you know, a quarterback. And here's a guy that was drafted first in, you know, in the draft last year and had a tough first year. But, God, behind that offensive line, I don't care who you are, you're going to have a tough first year. Mm. Um, and is, is recognized as a talent. And he could come available to you. So, you know, his his stock was up, and now as they get closer to, to the draft, I think his stock's going to go down because teams are going to call his, call Arizona's bluff because it's a little bit of a, you know, a Mexican standoff. They're going to look at each other, and somebody's going to have to say when, and, and uh, if the Cardinals don't say when, they may be stuck with two guys. And, and then once you got two of them, his value really plummets. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think he's been exceptional in this process. There was a lot of talk last year about character issues. Um, I don't think he's got character issues. He's got a chip on his shoulder, but to be elite in this game, I think most people have got chips on their shoulders. You look at the best to ever play the game. Tom Brady's a phenomenal example, and that's a guy who deserves a chip on his shoulder after uh, after going as low as he did in the draft. So I think at the end of the day, it, it shows character, and to be the first person in the building and the last person to leave and to train hard and to try and prove everybody that he is worthy of that pick. And, you know, the Cardinals gave up a lot for him, a third and fifth round pick to, to move up spot, five spots to get him. A GM doesn't survive that kind of failure after one year and, and goes and drafts a new guy. Well, you know, and that's that's a good point. I think there are two things that you said that really resonate with me. You know, you remember what Tom Brady's comment to Mr. Kraft was when he saw him at training camp for the first time. He walked up to, to the owner of the team and said, you know, Mr. Kraft, I'm Tom Brady. I, I You picked me in the sixth round, and I'm going to prove to you that that was a good pick. Well, that's a pretty, you know, as we say in the business, that's a pretty ballsy move by a kid who's a sixth-round draft pick. So, you know, obviously you've got to have confidence and you've got to believe in yourself, particularly when you're playing that position in pro football. I think I think that was a great observation. Then I think the other thing is Steve Kime, you know, at what point does the Bidwell say, hey, what's going on here? We lose our head coach. You go out and hire another guy that doesn't, that lasts a season, didn't last a whole year. You draft the guy in the first round. Now we're going back and drafting a quarterback in the first round. I think the last time that happened, the Colts took Art Schleister and then took John Elway the, the next year. And, you know, again, you saw how that worked out for them. Yeah. And the, uh, my Tampa Bay Buccaneers did it in the 80s where they took – Philly Testaverde and Steve Young like it teams don't do it very often and there's a very good reason for that <laughs> yeah and 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 so you know again there's a lot of there's awful lot of drama and awful lot of stuff going on right now that we don't know about you know those I'm sure there are high level meetings and high level phone conversations all across North America right now you know GMs owners coaches uh, you know it's a fun, fun time to be a fan of the National Football League. For sure. So who do you think goes number one then, Jeff, if you don't think it's Kyler Murray? Well, you know what? It, to me, I, you know, again, if you're Arizona, you're any of those teams, that you're picking first for a reason. And usually the reason is you're not very good. And that, <laughs> and that means you don't have very many players on your roster, don't have enough players on your roster. And I think one of the things that the Patriots have taught us is that, multiple picks are better than high picks. And when I say that, you know, if you think about it, if you trade a first for a lower first and a second and a third or a second, a fifth or whatever it is, you're just increasing your chances of hitting on a guy because the more times you can go to the, you know, the more times you can go to the carnival, the more chances you got to win. And, and uh, I think that's, if I'm Arizona, I'm going to trade out of that pick. And unless you just really don't believe Rosen has a chance, which I, I, I just can't believe they feel that way. I'm going to trade out of that pick, get as many picks as I can get. I feel the same way with the Raiders. The Raiders have those three first first round picks. I mean, I'm going to get out of there with at least one of them, maybe two of them and get me as many second, third, fourth. Cause there's still guys, a lot of really, really good football players, 
available in those rounds. And the Raiders have multiple holes to fill, not just three. They've got about, you know, I won't say 30, but they got a bunch. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, so they, they've got to find, they got to find numbers. They got to find picks. So I think that's a lot of what's going on right now. I like Bosa. I just really think that young Bosa kid has a chance to be a really, really fine player in the league. I think he has a chance maybe to be a little better than his brother even. And mm. then, you know, I don't even have, I don't even have Kyler Murray as the best quarterback in the draft. I like the Haskins kid from Ohio State. I think his upside, he only been a one-year starter, but his upside is huge. He's smart. He's got great football IQ. He's got a big arm. He's got a better body. You know, he's not as mobile as Murray is, but, you know, again, when is the last time an under-six-foot quarterback, now I'm talking about an under-six-foot quarterback, has had great success in the National Football League? There haven't been very many of them, so – you're talking about outliers, and you know when you're drafting for outliers, your chances of success are really reduced. Yeah, agree. So we did a mock draft. So we got fans on our podcast from every team, and we did a live mock draft, which uh, went surprisingly swimmingly well with very few hitches. Which, considering we had uh, 27 different GMs on, it, it went without a hitch pretty much. Um, and then we did the live event yesterday. In our mock draft, Haskins went off the board at 23 as the second QB, when the, and it went to the Giants. The Giants, she traded down from 17 uh, to 23, because we allowed trades in our one and still got their guy. And yesterday, in the live mock draft event, he went to the Giants at 17. So it, it was interesting to see that, from the fans' perspective of their teams, they're not valuing this QB class at all. Um, and prepared to let the QB slide and, and get some of the defensive and offensive line talent that's available? Well, I think the best the, the best players in the draft are up front. You know, there, there's some really, really good, really good edge rushers in this draft. There's some big guys inside. Uh, I think there's a, a, a number of offensive linemen that will have good careers in the National Football League, and there's some corners. You know, this is, a, I think, a pretty deep, deep drafted corner. Mm. What's interesting to me, fellas, is – I just can't see Haskins dropping that far. Now, that may happen, but I can't see him dropping that far. I think the Giants will actually – I don't think Haskins will be there when they pick unless they do some sort of trade to move up uh, somehow to get him. I think they're going to go after the kid from Duke personally. I think that that's a kind of a better fit for what they do and what they want. And, you know, his, his college coach, David Cutcliffe, was – Eli's college coach at uh, at Ole Miss, and the kids a doesn't have the biggest arm, but you know again same thing with Eli. Eli didn't have the biggest arm either, but he is very accurate. He's tough. He's competitive. He's a great leader. So uh, you know I think that probably, in my opinion, is where they'll go. No, it, it makes sense. Um, there's another issue I wanted to talk to you about. I think before we get to some of the questions we got on the show sheet, and we, I know you tweeted in the last hour about the um the frank clark trade to the chiefs and mm-hmm. actually the, the numbers have just broken through in the last few minutes for me and Rappaport, and he's reporting that frank clark uh, is getting a five-year 105.5 million dollar contract which is more than what tank lawrence got with the um with the cowboys actually it's only half a million more and obviously there's guarantees non-guarantees in there but um stocks and i were talking beforehand we thought he might get 60 70 million to see that number is 
staggering and what they've given up. Well, what do you think of the, the, the trade, the, the first round pick, the, the second round pick next year and the, the swap of the thirds and then that contract as well? Well, I think here, here's your reality, fellas. When Russell signed that big contract a week ago, it, it sealed Frank Clark's fate. And I think it sealed the fate of a number of older, older veteran players in Seattle. When you, when you go out and do what they did, which I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying when you do what they did, you give a guy that much money, you have got to backfill it with, with rookie contracts. And so Frank Clark became a guy that was expendable and a valuable trade commodity because Kansas City – you know, after the D Ford thing and Justin Houston, they had to ha- they had to get an edge rusher. Now, they have a quarterback still operating in his rookie contract, so they had the flexibility inside the cap to go ahead and give D Ford that kind of money. I'm going to tell you something, D Ford. When the quarterback gets out of his rookie deal, D Ford may be a casualty in Kansas City, right? I mean, it's just the it's the economics of the game. So every time you sign a Russell Wilson deal, you got to backfill it with rookie contracts. And so looking at the draft, if I'm in Seattle, I'm saying we have a proven edge rusher. Yes, we do. But we also have a talent now because we paid our quarterback and, you know, the highest paid player in the league, I think. Yeah. Now, how do we go? How are we going to how are we going to, you know, get this all to fit? Well. There's a lot of good edge rushes in the draft. We'll get two first-round picks, and we're going to get one of those young guys, and he's going to have to come in and perform. It puts more pressure on the scouting department. It puts more pressure on the GM and everybody that's making these selections to be right. And, you know, again, but that is, you know, the cost of doing business in today's National Football League when you got to pay guys that, that kind of money. Yeah, Seattle were also known for trading back quite often in the draft as well. So they might expl- expand that first round pick they've just got into a second and a set third, or maybe a fifth, something like that, and pick up yeah, even more pieces. Yeah, exactly, because those are commodities now, right? So you know they they got I think it's the twenty first and the 29th, if I'm not mistaken, it's somewhere in there. And you know there are really really good football players at both those picks, but. If you take one of those and get yourself, and now they picked up a second, I think, in that Clark deal too, they get another second or third, you're now talking about three guys, three rookie contracts that should make your football team and be contributors. So, you know, it's just the economics of the game. Yeah, the the, the second round pick is next year's. The Chiefs have two, and they're going to retain the better one. They got the 49ers one from the D4 trade. So, it looks like they'll they'll give up their own. Well, you would assume um, their own. The Chiefs will give their their second round pick in next year. But I think what will be interesting is um, at twenty nine, if Jeffrey Simmons is still on the board, I think they're going to get a lot of phone calls at twenty nine for a lot of teams that will be willing to go up and get him and almost redshirt him with his injury because he's a top ten talent who is unfortunately going to miss most of this year, if not the whole year. So I think that 29 pick could turn into a another haul for the, the Seahawks for sure. Yeah, that, that kid you're talking about, in my mind, is the best of those defensive tackle guys. Now, there, he's going to come to you with some baggage. He's going to have an injury issue, that ACL, which is a, which is a 
you know, the ACL is so much, they, they repair those so much better than they have in the past. Guys are coming back in a year. It used to be, that was a two year injury. That was really, you weren't really 100% until your second year back, but they're, you know, the, the technology now, the medical technology is so strong that those guys are getting back inside a year. There also are some questions about some off field stuff with him. So, you know, he's not a, what they call a clean prospect by any means. But he is, in my mind, the most dominant of those inside guys because I think he's probably the best athlete. The kid from Alabama I really like because of his toughness and his ability to rush the passer. I'm not a big fan of either of the two Clemson kids. So, you know, again, that's just my personal opinion on it, though. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Quinn and Williams. I, the, that kid is is a guy you can put in any dressing room and he's going to just – earn the respect of everybody immediately he lost his mum when he was very young um you know he knew he's got to support his family um he knuckled down he got a good degree and on top of that he's stuck in school to make sure he got his degree he could have left early but decided not to and I think he's going to be a top 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 player in the league for years to come you know what guys when you when you're evaluating players and uh, you know, it's interesting. John Matsko is the offensive line coach in Carolina and one of the better offensive line coaches in the National Football League and really respected guy in this business. When we were at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, I was talking to John and we were talking about finding offensive linemen because the college game now is so different than the NFL game in terms of what they're asking guys to do, particularly offensive linemen. And, you know, John made a comment that I thought was really, you know, really profound. He said, Jeff, when I when I look at a kid, if I get a kid from a program like Alabama or Michigan or Notre Dame or Stanford, he mentioned, where they put their hand in the ground and on the, in the dirt and they play football, they really block and you know work combination block. I mean, these kids that come out of these spread offenses that are in a two point stance their whole career, then all of a sudden they got to put their hand on the ground and they got to block NFL defensive line. It is a it is a big big adjustment so when you're looking at players you weigh a guy based upon where he got his preparation from you know um an alabama kid is always going to be tough he's going to be he's going to have some you know he's been coached hard he's been in a highly competitive environment every single day of his years of his years at at bama so those kind of kids, I think, have the easiest transition to the National Football League. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a Reuben Foster in there every once in a while. But the reality of it is I would much rather take a guy from that kind of program than a program where, you know, they, they don't really push their kids or demand things from them. Yeah. They, uh, the Bama defense could almost put itself together as an NFL defense these days. They're that good. Yeah, um, I, tell you, I tell you what. They are not that far off. And, and uh, you know, you look around the league now and you see how many of them are, are playing in the league. And, you know, Clemson's not far behind. I know, you know, they've done – Dabo Sweeney's done an amazing job there. Uh, that's not the easiest job in America to get players to go with. You know, Greenville, South Carolina, Clemson, South Carolina is not exactly a, on your list of five places you want to go see in your life. And, and uh, uh, But he's done a great job of getting talent there. No, he has. So, Jeff, how, how did you get into football and into coaching and, and TV presenting? You know what, fellas, I, I tell you, both were kind of just just really happy. You know, I was I was not a particularly well-adjusted kid 
um, you know, in terms of thinking about the future, you know, I, I, I just thought it was like next week who we playing. That was the future to me. And my senior year in college, I was walking past the head coach's office and, and he said, Jeffrey, get in here. And nobody, and I mean, nobody calls me Jeffrey except my mother when she's pissed off at me. And you know, so I'm like thinking, what have I done now? Right. And he, he sat me down and he said, what are you going to do when this is over? And I was like, dumbfounded, like over, I mean, this is over. What do you mean over? And he said, this is going to come to an end for you real soon. And what do you want to do when you're done playing football? And he, and I said, coach, I don't know. I thought, I thought, of, you know, maybe I'll go, I don't know. And he said, I think you ought to coach. And that's really how it happened. And the broadcasting thing was kind of just the same kind of deal. Um, I was working in the NFL office in London. Uh, Sky was using, uh, or Fox was using Sky as kind of a proving ground for uh, broadcasters. And uh, I believe it was Darren Woodson was supposed to come over and do a broadcast. Couldn't make it at the last minute. And they couldn't get somebody in fast enough. And so, you know, they came down to my office and said, hey, you've been on TV a little bit, haven't you? I said, yeah. And they said, well, want to do Sky's game this weekend? I said, sure. That turned into, you know, 10 years ago. So it's been a fun, it's been a fun ride. I've really enjoyed it. Sounds, it sounds like it would be fun. Yeah. I tell you what, I I work with great people. I, you know, our initial producer, Carl Bauman and all the guys, Kevin Cadle and, you know, Nick Halling, you know, they really, really helped me when I was young and just trying to figure it out. And then, you know, Alex Mason, our producer now and neil reynolds is an ultimate i'm talking about an ultimate pro i mean he really is really really good at what he does he takes it very serious he works hard at his craft and he makes every time we go you know in the studio fun and and uh makes it easy you two have an absolutely brilliant relationship uh whether it's uh the podcast or whether it's uh, on screen you can just tell that you two really just just click and you know, it's really what you guys produce is is high level quality content that keeps everybody engaged from brand new listeners and we're uh, you know viewers who you know we're always trying to push new viewers and I get my friends into it and etc. and and they tune in and watch you guys and um, yeah, it's just brilliant what you guys do and, and it's a big reason why the NFL's taken off because for for you two to to do what you do and break down the game to people who don't understand it or or are struggling to follow some of the finer nuances it's a very technical sport you know you've got a massively growing audience and and a lot of it is down to the work that you two do because you're one of the big you know viewing spots it's only you guys and and scott hansen on on red zone and that's it for people to consume well you know what i I appreciate you saying that i i think it's really um it's it's a it's a process. It's it's a team game. It's, you know, broadcasting is just like football. You know, it takes a team, you know, the guys, we have tremendous people that work in, in the production aspect of it, getting us the, you know, the information that we need, getting us the cuts that we need. The technology has improved so much. Like when we first started, there was no telestration. There was none of that. And now I think that with the advent of, you know, what sky has given us in terms of being able to telestrate a game, it really makes it much, much easier for you to, to, you know, teach the fans the game. Because as you mentioned, it's a highly technical game and it is really, really a beautiful game when you, when you recognize how it's played and why it's played the way it is. And it's been fun as I watch now. And, you know, like, for example, 
we're sitting here talking some high-level football discussions. And, you know, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have happened. You know, there just wasn't, you know, there weren't people in the U.K., with the kind of knowledge that you guys have. And, you know, if we've been a part of that, then you know, I, I think Neil and I would, you know, certainly feel good if we never broadcast another game, knowing that we were part of help, helping grow what is, to me, the greatest game in the world. No, listen, when we were at the mock draft yesterday, the amount of knowledge people have just sitting there eating chicken wings and drinking beer and having a laugh while I was doing the mock draft was unreal. Just everybody I spoke to yesterday just was on another level knowledge wise and it was really it was interesting for me to see because I spend a lot of my time listening and reading and stuff like that but it's it's apparent that in the UK everybody does it everybody who's into the NFL is thoroughly into it well guys I'm gonna tell you something it doesn't matter who it is that we bring over whether it was Emmanuel Sanders or you know, DeMarcus Ware or any of the any of the great pros that we brought over to talk with us or do a broadcast with us or meet the fans, they're all shocked at the level of, you know, intelligence, the level of sophistication, the level of knowledge of the fans in the UK. And, you know, it's it's really kinda I sit back here, you know, because I have to spend half my, you know, half my existence here and when the games first started in the UK, and now you can't, I mean, there is a line a mile long of media people and football people and everybody that wants to come to London and be a part of the games and broadcast and all the other stuff. So I kind of just sit back and, and like the cat to eat the canary and just <laughs> watch it all happen. And I'm really happy for the fans in the UK because they really deserve all of the attention and all the focus that they're getting so who's your nfl team jeff like and why do you support them well i gotta i got this is gonna be like i'm going to rehab now (laughs) (laughs) hi i'm jeff and i'm a devout lions and raiders fan and then i gotta go through my story because because my two teams they they have found ways to screw it up in years in the recent in recent history so I grew up uh, when I was a little kid. Uh, I, you know, I was big, loved football. And my dad said to me one day, he said, "Well, why don't you write the teams?" And and because I asked him if I could get pictures or something, I don't know what. I, but he said, "Well, just write the teams and ask them." And I said, "Well, I don't have the addresses." So my dad came home with this book that had an NFL book that had all their addresses. Of the team wrote every team a handwritten letter, and I was about probably about eight at the time. And the Lions were the first team that sent back stuff. And they sent back all kinds of stuff, pictures and stickers and all kinds of stuff. So I was a Lions fan for the longest time. And then when I got to I got to high school, I kind of became a Raider fan because of Fred Bolitnikoff. And then was a Raider fan for, you know, most of most of the rest of my time. And now I really don't have a team. I got I've got so many friends and ex-players and guys I've worked with and all of that in the business that I'm I'm more of a fan of, you know, people than I am of teams. I love that. That's a great reason to support a team as well. Just writing to teams and see who's got the best engagement with their fans and willing to do stuff. I think that's a, that's a phenomenal reason to, to support a franchise. Um, you're, you're on with two, um, suffering fans of franchises i guess chris is slightly less than mine uh chris is a broncos fan um and i'm a 
uh, I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. I lived in Florida, so that's how I got to pick the the Buccaneers and got to watch them live. And you know, uh, I keep writing to the Florida Tourist Board because uh, when I was there, we were a good team from 2000 to 2005. Um, and it seems like ever since I left, the, the team started to tank a little bit. So uh, they haven't taken me up on my offer yet to to relocate me permanently, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> hey man, I'm gonna tell you something. You know, when the Bucks came into the league. They were so bad, and I mean so bad. And they had a legendary guy as the head coach named John McKay. And I don't know if you ever get a chance, but go back on YouTube and look at some of his press conferences. There was a time they asked him, Coach McKay, what do you feel about your offense's execution today? And he said, I'm in favor of it. <laughs> so <laughs> he was... He had the greatest one lines of all, but he had to. I mean, he, here's a guy that goes from being the head coach at USC and he's got, you know, OJ Simpson and Heisman Trophy winner after Heisman Trophy winner, national championship after national championship. And he makes the jump to the NFL and he gets the expansion Tampa Bay Bucks. And I think they went two years maybe before they won a football game. It was a long, it was time. A long time. And then, uh, <laughs> Then there's those uh, creamsicle jerseys. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I love them. Well, slow down now because those are the most beautiful uniforms. Those white ones. Oh, yeah. Pants, but when they had white on white, those were the best uniforms ever in the National Football League. I agree. I'm with you 100%. The white ones especially. I, uh, there's a lot of calls to bring the orange ones back, but I'm I'm with you. I, I'd love those white ones to come back. I think they're a glorious kit and... I, I'm with you 100. percent I wish we could we could do them and get rid of the color rush jersey and and have that as the color rush. I think would be a phenomenal feat to have one or two games a year. I tell you what, the story about the Tampa Bay Bucks. I, I uh, coached a kid in college. Uh, his name's Cal Gibron, and his dad Abe was the head coach of the Chicago Bears when they had Bobby Douglas back in the '68, '69. And when Abe got fired in Chicago, he got a job in Tampa. And uh, he, he was a legendary. Again, look him up on YouTube. It's, it's priceless. I mean, he's priceless, dude. And he uh, took me around the Tampa Bay facility when Sam Weish was the head coach there. And, you know, they were kind of the bad news bucks, I think, at that time. But right before that, they had a little ring, of, they had, excuse me, a little string of success because they had Richard Batman Woods playing linebacker and Mark Cotney at safety and and uh, trying to think who the tailback was they had out of USC that was a real good player. And and they made the playoffs, I think, in the late 70s, early 80s. But that that was the first taste of success they ever had in Tampa. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, it's such a fascinating franchise with the history it's had and even the recent history, which hasn't been good uh, to see what's come out. But I guess that's why I'm a fan and why I'll never change. And uh, Chris has uh, been supporting the Broncos for quite a few years now. His story is slightly different than mine about how he got involved with the Broncos. Yeah, I I uh, played a Madden demo in 2000 and it was the Broncos versus the Falcons and the Broncos were winning. So I picked the Broncos as my team to support and that's how it began. Well, I'll tell you what, you know what, it's amazing, isn't it, how we choose player, we choose teams. Like, you know, my, my soccer team is Leeds United, and the reason for that is when I was in London in 95 and I turned on the TV, and I don't know anything about soccer except if you hit it in the net, it's good for you. Uh, 
And if they hit it, then <laughs> it ain't good for you. And I'm watching this team in this all in these all white, beautiful all white uniforms, and they played kind of a nasty streak of. I mean, they were knocking guys down and all that stuff. And I asked, I asked a buddy of mine, I said, "Who's that team right there?" And he said, "Oh, that's Leeds United. They call them Dirty Leeds." I said, "That's my club." So I've been a I've been a Dirty Leeds fan since then. <laughs> I love that they were yeah they they definitely were they weren't as dirty in the 90s as they were in the in the 70s that's when they were really like they were dirty dirty leads then and that's where the names kind of stuck so uh, yeah it, fascinating to hear that and yeah I, I've always had a little affinity for Leeds it's they got some tough times ahead now to see if they move back to the Premier League but we'll see what happens from them well I don't know what's happened they got I got to I'm going to have a uh, a, pri- a parliamentary you know investigation because when i was there they were cruising through the champion league or championship and well headed to the premiership again and now i pick up the twitter today and all my leads buddies are wringing their hands thinking we may not go up so i want to know what's going on it's um it's a pretty common trait with um Bielsa, the manager he is such a high demanding manager in terms of what he expects his players to do um, from a pressing perspective, um, from chasing down, closing down balls, the work ethic he he expects is so much more than any manager that his teams throughout the history of, of, of coaching them, if you look at any of the teams he's managed, they always tend to run out of gas at the end of the season. So they start off flying. They, they get the fitness levels right in preseason. Then they get to midpoint and they're really storming teams and they just... They just run out of puff at the very end. And I, I guess the aim was to have got there before this little spate. But um, it looks like it's going to be the playoffs for them. And there's some teams in there like Aston Villa have won 10 straight that Leeds don't want to be facing because that will be a tough, tough game for them if they get through to the final or semi-final, however it works. So um, it's not impossible for Leeds to go up automatically. But yeah, that, that would explain why. they they've always Their managers always had a history of of them just running out of puff at the end of the season because he just works them so hard. Well, I'll tell you what, it better not be against Aston Villa because I have a good friend over there, Tom Julian, who works for the Villa Voice and, and works with us on Odds Checker. And if if it's my team against his team, and I, I can't even bear the thought of what it'd be like to lose to those guys. Well, <laughs> you might, you, you, it might turn out that way, Jeff. Uh, uh, Jesus, it, don't tell me that. It it there's is more than a good chance at this moment. It's not impossible for Leeds to go up automatically, but in the playoffs, uh, it, it could end up like that. Well, I'm just gonna say this: it, it, you just got to believe, and and Dirty Nation got to rise up as one and get our boys, get our <laughs> get our white jerseys going. <laughs> I agree. We'll see what happens in the coming. Uh, it's not long left. Uh, six weeks, we'll know. If Leeds are back in the Premier League, I hope they are. They're their historical club. I want historical clubs back in the Premier League. So uh, I'll be rooting for for your boys in white and hope they get there. And hopefully I'll get to watch them next season at the Emirates. All right. Um, you mentioned players. Um, who would you say is the, the best player you've ever had the privilege to, to watch play live? Ooh, boy, that's a you're talking about a long stretch and a lot of guys now and some really, really, really fine players. Um, You know, I I think there were some there are a couple that, you know, will always stick out in my mind um, for different reasons. Um, 
you know, Emmanuel Sanders. Well, you know what? Emmanuel's just a guy that plays way beyond his physical capabilities. He's not very big. He's 180 pounds. He's, you know, not extremely fast. He's got great quickness, long arms and big hands. So he's got good catching range. But he's the kind of guy that when it's tough, you want on your team. He will go in and do the dirty work. He's physical. He's, you know, he'll he'll give up his body for his team. He, he put something on Twitter that I really thought was apropos this offseason. You know, there is a picture of him diving to make a catch and getting whacked. And he said, I don't make business decisions. I make what's best for my team decisions. And that's the kind of guy Emmanuel Sanders is. There's so many guys in the game now that, quote, do that, make business decisions about, well, you know, if I go in there, man, I might get hurt and I might not, you know, be able, my career may, you know, he doesn't think that way. He's about what it takes to win. And I think that's the mark of a great one. Doug Flutie was another one that, you know, transcended his size. And, you know, he had that unique ability to always make everybody around him better. You always believed as long as Doug had one more possession that you would have a chance to win the football game. And that's a rare quality. I think that's the leadership thing that is so hard to measure in quarterbacks. And one of the reasons quarterbacking is not an exact science is the fact that there are the leadership aspect and the belief part of it, it's really hard to put that in a computer. And it's analytics can't show it to you and you can't test it at the combine. You just, you just know it when the guy goes in the huddle. Um, Michael Bennett was a guy I recruited as a high school player. And, you know, my favorite Michael Bennett story is I went over to Michael's house to recruit him and ask his mom where he was. And she said he's out in the backyard. I went out in the backyard. Michael had taken his sister's mattress off her bed, had tied it to a tree, was out in the backyard doing pass rush moves against the tree. And I mean, that's the kind of fire that he has, the competitive fire that he has inside of him. So, those are three guys that really, really stick out to me. But there are so many, so many guys that just have such, you know, I tell you what, fellas, when you get to pro football, some of these guys make the game look so easy. And I'm going to tell you something, it ain't an easy game. But, but some of them are just so gifted that they make the game look simple. Awesome. Jeff, I've got a question about one of the Lions players. Um, mm-hmm. Carry on Johnson, is he the real deal? We'll see. I think he's got a chance to be. Um, you know, here's the thing that, that when you – there's such a rush because uh, – and I think it's more now than it's ever been in pro sports because there's so much media attention. There's so much coverage. So many people can tune in and, and know what's going on. And I think there's a tendency to either judge a, a young player, you know, to, to be, oh, my God, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Oh, my God, that guy's a bust way too early in their career when you look at the great ones and i'm talking about the really really special guys and i think this kid has a chance to be one of those guys it's about consistency and can you do it over time can you stay healthy can you stay focused can you stay away from all the things off the field that can contribute to contribute to you know taking your game away uh do you have the the single focus like a, a, for example you talk about guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady guys those guys preparation habits and their effort and their the way they took care of their bodies and all of those things 
were absolutely phenomenal. And that's one of the reasons why they played as well as they did as long as they did. So in a, in a player like Johnson's case, I think he has a chance to be a really fine, fine player. It's just now to me, it's okay. Let's put two or three or four or five years back together. And, and then, then I'll be willing to call you a great one. Wicked. That moves us nicely onto fantasy football. Coach, do you play? I do. Uh, you know, again, I, 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 I played, I think it was three years ago, and I hired my son as the GM, and I had to fire him halfway through the season <laughs> and take over the club. Uh, <laughs> but I don't, the problem with me in fantasy football is I, it's really difficult for me to do it from a time standpoint and do it justice. Because, you know, it's so competitive. I'm telling you now, fantasy football, is that's highly competitive stuff. And, you know, whether you're watching the NFL Network or you're listening to the podcast and all that stuff, there are guys that take that really, really serious, seriously. Because it's funny, I was talking to, I was talking to Emmanuel Sanders. We, he and Josh Norman, we were on a, on a trip through England and Scotland, and, and we were talking on the bus, and, and they were laughing about how guys would come up to him and – just go it's not about whether the broncos or the redskins won or lost it's about whether they helped them win their fantasy league that week right that's what they were getting all excited about so people take it really really seriously and i just i play but i don't really have the time to you know stay up with it like i should that's understandable you're a busy guy i mean (laughs) we live right during our season you know we play all the way our championship game is uh is you know, American Thanksgiving. So, you know, we're, we start playing games in June and we play all the way every week. We have 18 game schedules, long schedule, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Murph and I eat, sleep and breathe fantasy football. So it's what we do. And to okay, hear you say, that? let me ask you a question. I'm going to do a little interview in here. Who's the best, who was your best fantasy bargain last year? Oh, George Kittle, hands down. All right. Now, did you see that coming or was that just a shot in the dark? I mean, he was he wasn't really drafted, but if you were savvy, you picked him up week one because he was available on the waivers, and you rode that bus all the way to the final. Well, some of us drafted him. I, yeah, all right. Listen, I'm just no. saying. No, that's fine. Some some of us drafted him. Um, I I drafted him in two leagues, and uh, very late, very very late. We're talking about last pick or two. Um, so yeah, uh, James Connor, obviously the later with some of my drafts were very, very late and was taking James Connor with the last pick last round of the draft. Uh, and that paid dividends. It's a bit unfair really to call him a, uh, a bargain given sort of the situation that happened and you never really want to see guys hold out. Um, but yeah, that's always going to be one in there. Um, Patrick Mahomes, come on. Patrick yeah. Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Probably the number one he might have got drafted late but otherwise you picked him up off the waivers oh you guys are you guys are belichickian in your ability to find players late in the draft huh we gotta we might fly you in we got our draft on may 2nd we may have to fly you guys in and tell it let tell us who to take rounds three through eight we're we're in as long as it's not a as long as it's not a qb um Definitely just whatever you do. It depends on the scoring. Unless you're in like um, a two-quarterback league or you have some really unique scoring for quarterbacks, it's just not worth taking a quarterback until very late. Just stock up with uh, wide receivers and running backs um, and just keep piling those positions because they're the ones that have got the high attrition rates with injuries. And 
um, just stockpile and just this next guy up, next guy up, and and everything else you can kind of fill in. Um, tight end, um, quarterback. You can always pick up somebody who's going to have value um, and just just pick up who you need to through the season. But it, you can't win your league at the draft, unfortunately, as much as we would love to. But um, you can't you can, lose it. You can lose it um, for for sure. So I think it's 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 two things. It's drafting players who are going to give you the best opportunity to win, and that's just stocking those running back and wide receiver positions as much as you can with with deep talent and people who you think are going to have good seasons, and then. Um, just watching that waiver wire and if a Philip Lindsay starts to win a job and, and you can get in early and take him then, and a George Kittle, then they're the ones that will be your difference makers. All right, then. Okay, then let me throw you this one. There's a, here's a hypothetical situation. You're sitting in the draft room. It's draft day. It's, it's a pick comes up and you got a choice. Tyreek Hill or Aaron Rodgers. Who are you taking? What round are we talking? Guess third, fourth <laughs> in that race? We're in the fourth round. Rodgers has fallen. Tyreek Hill is there on the board. What are you going to do? You got you're on the clock. Ty- Tyreek Hill, uh, no no doubt in my mind. You're going to take Tyreek Hill. Yep, hundred percent. Okay, so that okay. All right, now I'm I'm getting some fantasy lessons here. This has been worth the phone call. <laughs> I did. I mean, there's a bit of a question mark with with obviously his uh, off field stuff and, and and everything, but and we know NFL investigations can be slow, but. If if I'm getting him in the fourth round and he's a second round player, then it just is it is instant uh, gratification for me that to get a player like that there. And um, if it's if it's Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is obviously the best to play the game, and and he puts up good fantasy numbers. Not so great if you put, drafted him last year, but arguably you could pick up six rounds later uh, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Jameis Winston. Um, who are not going to be severely behind Rogers from a fantasy perspective, and it depends on the scoring. So I'd rather take the value because if Tyreek goes off with his returns on special teams and his touchdown um, numbers that he gets, he's going to be m- far more likely to succeed and be better than the player I could get in his position to replace him. Whereas Rogers to Jameis Winston won't be a huge drop off. I'm I'm calling on your league right now because if Aaron Rodgers is even mentioned in the same sentence with Jameis Winston. I don't want anything to do with that league. <laughs> Jameis Winston, he hasn't figured out yet. You got to throw it to the guys in your color, not the other color. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's a fair point. I mean, he figured it out in the last six games of last season, but I think a lot of it with Winston is is coaching and scheme. I think the way that Dirk Cutter ran his scheme was. Uh, you know, a, a lot of it was just setting up Winston to just ball out, and he's not a ball out player as much as he wishes he was. You have to put schemes in place, and you need to have roots out there, and he needs to have a bailout guy there, which he didn't have quite a lot of last year, and he needs some protection on that line, which he wasn't getting. So he was just trying to force things into happening. Um, I think Bruce will fix a lot of that. I think you'll see a different. Winston, I don't think a leopard changes his spots per se, but I think for this year his his uh, turnover numbers will greatly decrease. Um, I think some of the big plays might go, but I think he's he's going to be a far more sensible quarterback this year. All right, I'm just going to give you a a number, two, right? Two. Yeah. You know what that number is significant of? Go on, with James Winston. Winston. That's the number of head coaches he's got fired already in his career. So 
I'm a BA fan. He better not get BA. He he won't get BA because if he doesn't do it this year, he's not getting another contract. So um, I I think to to say that he got Smith fired was a bit harsh. It was his rookie year. Um, I don't think he got Smith fired. Um, I think that that was a change that needed to happen. I think from Dirk's perspective, I think Dirk has to be culpable for the atmosphere and the 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 way that the guys responded in the dressing room. And I think as much as Winston takes some of that blame and the the you know the ban he got last year, the thing that gets me with a guy like Cutter is we go and lose a game to the Washington Redskins. Uh, what was it, fifteen three with five hundred yards of offense, and we don't score any points. The media go into the dressing room, and there's guys laughing away playing ping pong. That's not a dressing room with guys built and and wanting and buying into the process. That's a dressing room that think this is just a big joke, and that starts at the coach for me. Well, let me ask you a question now again because he got that job. Why did he get that job? Do you remember what the what the rationale for getting rid of Lovey and and turning to Dirk was? Yeah, he had a good relationship with him and believed he would get the, the, the best out of him. Yep. Well, I agree with you in the stand, in, from the standpoint of what you said. There has to come a point where the players are accountable, and I think that's what B.A. is going to bring in his no-nonsense. You know, I mean, there, there are going to be a lot of four-letter words in the press conferences, but it, the players are going to know where they stand, and, and there ain't going to be no question who the boss is when B.A. gets to town. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think the fact that they have a relationship already is going to help um, for sure. And I think what's what's really important is how Winston is going to handle it. Because I think last year was, was horrible for everybody involved. You had the who was going to be the quarterback this week, who's going to be the quarterback next week. You know, no nobody kind of knew uh, who was going to be the quarterback week to week. And when you've got that level of uncertainty, everybody's going to just be bad because you don't know what's going on. Half the dressing room wanted Fitz, half the dressing room wanted uh, Jameis to play. And I think this year is going to be different. We know that Jameis is going to be the guy. He's got one year to prove it. He's on a prove it year, a prove it deal now. And he either becomes the Jameis of the second half of last season and shows some discipline and some fight and doesn't turn the ball over. Um, but he's got to work with the coaches and he's got to stop thinking he can win every game with every throw. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you something, guys. I, I agree with the fact that he has maybe, you know, there are a lot of guys that, that kind of want to have that moniker, a quarterback whisperer, and I'm not sure there is a quarterback whisperer, but I'm going to tell you something. You talk about quarterback coaches, mm. Bruce Arians is, be, you know, he's as good as there is, and I and I think his veteran moxie, his, you know, he'll have, he'll command that room. Part of coaching in pro football is, you got to walk into that room and you got to you're sitting in there with a bunch of guys that are making a whole lot of money and got more security than you got and you've got to be able to command the room and i know you know ba can do that and i think you know i i, I think tampa has a chance to make a jump this year a real jump and and i would not be surprised i think a lot of it is going to as you say going to come down to how mature Jameis plays during the course of the year yeah, I, I agree. And I think it, B.A. is the perfect coach for the Buccaneers because in the 10 years since Gruden left the building, um, there hasn't been a coach there that has really earned the respect of the players and hasn't really commanded it. You know, you had Greg Schiano for a bit who tried to run it like a um, 
almost like an army like Belichick and Belichick can do that because he's got six rings. Um, you know, you listen to Bill because it works. Greg Schiano hadn't earned anything in this league. Um, it's a tough thing to go and demand military like precision from a guy who is unproven in at the top level. Um, Lovey Smith was the complete opposite. He was just so soft and let the guys, um, you know, he tried to be everybody's friend and tried to really put an arm around everybody. So you've gone from this disciplinarian style to a, um, almost like a, a factory that was almost too soft. And then you had Dirk who was kind of in the middle, but he just never really conveyed any confidence to, um, to anybody. We had that nine and seven season hard knocks comes by and they think, Oh, it all looks really good, but you don't churn out back to back five win seasons unless something is seriously wrong. And I don't think you can put everything on, on Jameis Winston there. That defense was notoriously bad and um, was badly coached. Um, and I, I think the coaching throughout was, was pretty poor um a lot of ill discipline and i think that's the difference and you know this as a coach yourself if you if you can't convey your message and you can't make the changes to at least see some improvement then what are you doing there yeah and again i think it'll be really really interesting to see how you know ba's put a good staff together he's got todd coaching his defense i think that that you're going to see a different style of defense a defense rather i think he's gone out and you know they got Buchanan, who fits what they want to do. And, you know, um, there's some really good players in the spots where I think they have a chance to draft. And so, again, I, I think Tampa is one of the teams that I'm going to look very, very closely at during the offseason, during the draft, and in through the preseason, because I think they are in a position where they can make a serious jump in the standings next year. Yeah, I, th- I think it's hard. They need to get some good um... – defensive back help there and i think they just they just need leaders they need people that are going to come in and lead the dressing room that's why andre ellington's there he's not there to make a significant impact on on the playing staff he's almost there as an additional coach and i think that's going to be the case for several players that will come in now will be um to keep that messaging consistent jpp is going to be a huge leader on the team this year and um for me if, if they pick up devin white that that kid is a leader through and through you've seen it at LSU I think he's that's why they are interested I don't think it's necessarily because it's although they have a strong need at linebacker I think they they want winners they want people who are going to lead and and too many too many people want to follow on that team and there ain't enough people want to stand up and lead yeah well again I think Devin will be a really really good selection for him because as you said he's a sideline to sideline player he played in the highest you know best football conference in in America in college and and showed that he was you know able to do everything you could ask a player to do and then from everybody I talked to at LSU and I've got some friends down there they say he's a great kid and really really committed football player and a good teammate so those are all things that you look for it's that's some of the things about the draft guys you know there's so much about you know I I have gone from being a real advocate for the combine to just kind of being kind of wishy-washy on the combine because you know to me there's so much more that you have to find out about beyond you know how high he can jump and how fast he can run and all those things I mean think about the 40-yard dash that might be the most antiquated measuring stick left in pro sports because Paul Brown bought that brought that to football in the 50s and you know it was the first time they had any sort of real measuring device but now here we are you know, 40, 50 years later, and how many times does a guy run a linear 40-yard dash in a football game 
you know, out of a track stance. It never happens. So why are we testing those kinds of things? I think what you do when you watch tape and then with the interview process and the individual workouts where you can actually put a guy through what you want him to do, see how he takes coaching, see how he takes instruction. I'm going to tell you something, guys. I remember when when uh, teams came to work out Emmanuel Sanders. And uh, I mean to tell you, they <laughs> one, one team, and I won't tell you which one it was, I thought they were going to kill him. I mean, swear to God, he must have run pass routes for an hour and a half. And what they were trying to see was how tough he was. They wanted to see his mental toughness. Would he, you know, would he compete? Would he, you know, when he's tired, what would he, how would he handle it? Those are the things that you really, to me, you need to find out about because anybody can watch tape. Anybody can measure a guy. Those are, those are information gathering, you know, people, but the people who can really dig down and find out about a player's character, find out about how much he is committed, find out about how tough he is. Those are the guys that, that make the best talent evaluators in my mind. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, so on that thought then, last question, because we appreciate we've kept you for, for quite a while here. Um, in terms of this year's draft, who would you say, based on those character guys, um, are the ones that you're really keeping an eye on to see where they go and who you think could be earmarked for success? You've mentioned uh, Nick Bosa, but are there a few other guys in here that you're sort of quietly, personally rooting for for, for success based on what you know about them? Well, I think the Haskins kid from Ohio State, you know, I was really impressed when I heard him speak and talk. You know, his football knowledge um, was really impressive to me for a guy and how he handled himself in an interview uh, for a guy who really only played one year at Ohio State. He's a redshirt junior coming out early. I think his best football is, you know, in, in front of him. You mentioned the Alabama guys. You know, the, the running back at Alabama, I think, is one of those guys. I think he's a guy that, you know, has a chance to really shine as a National Football League player. I don't think he's in the in the Saquon Barkley class, but I think he's one of those kinds of guys. You know, when Barkley came out last year, guys, you know, I don't know if you remember, but I was all in his corner. I mean, 100% in his corner. And the reason for that was because he was just such a clean prospect. There was nothing that you could say about him that was a negative. You couldn't talk about his strength. You couldn't talk about his speed. You couldn't talk about his character. You couldn't talk about his off field. You couldn't talk about anything that wasn't positive about that kid. And I swear to you that the Giants made the right decision when they took him and not you know, the quarterback. I, I, and Sam Darnold may end up being a great quarterback, but I'm going to tell you something. And I think we saw it last year. When you're the rookie of the year and you do what he did behind a very average offensive line and, you know, with, you know, after after OBJ went down, they really was he was seeing all eight and nine man fronts. That kid is a really special, special guy. So they're out there. There are guys in this draft. I think, you know, you look at some of these guys, uh, the tight end from Iowa. I like a great deal. Not Fant. I like the, you know, Fant to me is a guy that is a little bit of a Jimmy Graham guy. And I don't like, you know, I, I'm a Travis Kelsey fan, and I, I know Travis Kelsey doesn't block real well, but at least he'll try and he'll get in your way. I'm not sure Fant really, uh, I think he's more of a big wide receiver than he is a tight end. So if 
you want a big wide receiver, go get a big wide receiver. But, you know, that, this is why I say the draft, we could talk for hours just on, on the players in the draft, guys. But, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm rooting for the Haskins kid big out of Ohio State. Good. No, I, I, I love that. Um, I'm actually really big on, on Noah fan. I've made it very publicly clear. I, I've, I'm a big fan of what he's going to do. Um, and I love his attitude and energy. You're right. He doesn't block well. I think he might surprise people in the fact that I think he will depends on where he goes. Um, true. I think true. if he goes, if he goes to somewhere like maybe the Packers, um, the Seahawks, if they take him, I'm not so sure they will, but, um, or the Patriots, you'll be, you'll be sure that he will be learning how to block, um, for sure. And I think it depends. I think if he goes to a place where they're going to let him just be this wide receiver, then, then fine. But I, I think he, he will do it. I think he'll do what he's asked and I think he'll, he'll learn and he'll do it willingly. Um, but yeah, Hawkinson's also a, a top, top tight end. It's amazing. You've got one school that have produced two, amazing tight ends and probably better than most we've seen in the last five years combined and they're both in the same class and coming from the same school well that's incredible you know you think about that's a really great point because you know tight end is is a position that's hard to find usually you find your tight ends playing power forward in the nba you know that's the kind of guy you're looking for Mm -hmm. and and uh you know iowa which is a school that doesn't typically get the best players coming out of high school has done a great job of developing talent overall. Kirk Friends is a great football coach, and they have a great strength coach there. I think he's the highest-paid strength coach in college football. And, and you know, whether it's Hawkinson – and I gave Hawkinson props because that sucker will block you now. He'll get in there, and he will block you. And I think that he's kind of a throwback to Mark Bavaro a little bit. And you're right about Fant. I agree that if he can get in the right system – like, he could do the things that Kelsey does at Kansas City. So, you know, like Chicago, some of those teams that use that tight end like that. But if you want an inline tight end, I know I'm, that's not the guy I'm picking. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think it's amazing what the tight end position has done over the previous five years. It was always a position where it was seen as almost a sixth offensive lineman that occasionally would be a bailout guy and would, would receive. And now you've got these guys, Kelsey and Ertz and uh, Howard and, you know, um, uh, the Oklahoma, um, t- uh, the Cleveland Browns tight end, who's just dead. Uh, and Juku, David and Juku. Uh, yeah. 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 And these guys now are just taking it to a whole new level. Kittle uh, up there as well. And um, the, the position is almost like a brand new position. It's almost different from, from what it was um, half a dozen, a dozen years ago. You know what, guys? It's incredible, isn't it? How the NFL runs in cycles because... You take, for example, I'm going to take you back in history a little bit. The Redskins win a Super Bowl playing four wide receivers, and and they're all midgets. I mean, they're all the Smurfs, they called them, right? You remember that? And yeah. so, you know, and then, then Detroit, when, you know, they were running the run and shoot, and Houston, when they were running the run and shoot, they had all midgets. They had all little guys, right? But they wanted that quickness against the big defensive backs of the day. And then the defensive backs changed and, you know, you got a bunch of small corners that could cover. And now what did they, now what do they want out of wide receivers? They want big physical wide receivers again. So it runs in cycles. And I think that, you know, that's one of the fun things to watch about the league is the trends that are going on in the league. And, and, you know, tight ends, a perfect example, you know, where 
you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't name 10 tight ends in the National Football League. Now, you know, they're some of the biggest stars in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's incredible how the game continues to evolve and, and change. And no matter what, it never fails to deliver every single year. Um, similar to yourself, Jeff, it's been a, an absolute <laughs> pleasure having you on. Um, it's been absolutely amazing to, to talk to you and to get your insights and to, to spend this time. And I know we've gone over what we said, but I, I've really enjoyed it for anybody who for some reason is not following you. And I don't know why not. Uh, why don't you tell uh, our listeners where they can read some of your articles and some of the content you produce and where they can find you on Twitter and interact with you? Well, I tell you what, if you just go to Jeff underscore Reinbold and uh, you can get me on Twitter, I'm on Instagram and and, you know, if you go to Coach's Choice, if, you know, a lot of times I get asked, you know, so many times about where can I find, you know, a DVD about this or information about this or that. I've done a series of educational DVDs for a company called Coach's Choice, which you can access on the Internet. And then you can you can either download the DVD or you can, you know, purchase them yourself and have them. And it's everything from the run and shoot offense to the three, four defense to, all, you know, just paying back the, the information that I've been given over time by guys like Dick Vermeil and, and, you know, just really great, great, great football coaches. And so it's kind of our responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. Ah, incredible. Uh, I've seen a few, a few clips, but we'll be spending some time in the, once uh, the draft is done and once things sort of calm down before training camp, I'm going to digest. I need to continue to learn about X's and O's and drills and, and, and improve my knowledge. So I'll be uh, diving into those for sure, but they're brilliant from the, the, the bits I have watched. They're incredible and encourage everyone to, to get out there uh, and do that. But this is, this has been really great, Jeff, and I uh, would love to have you on again uh, uh, another time down the road. Let's do a post-draft show. That'll be fun. We'll see, we'll see what, we, what we take out of the draft amazing let's do that we'll find some time in may and we'll, we'll do that um we'd love to do that with you and, and break it all down so um that'd be great uh rush nation uh stocks had to, to drop off unfortunately his uh his little boy uh wanted his daddy um so he will he's just dropped off but he will be back we hope to have a show for you maybe friday we're just working it out um but until then we'll get this out and hope you enjoyed this and learned as much as we did and until we hear from you next Keep rushing. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.